Welcome back to Becoming Your Best Version. I am your podcast host, Maria Leonard Olson. I am an attorney in Washington, D.C., a mentor to women in recovery, uh, an author, journalist, and TEDx speaker. If you would kindly go and like my TEDx talk, which is called Turning Life's Challenges into a Force for Good, it would raise it in the visibility algorithm, and I believe it has the capacity to help a lot of people. Also, of course, all authors need reviews of their book. So if you would take a look at my book and give it a review on Amazon or Goodreads, that would be so helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I started this podcast, it is going on three years now, to highlight the voices of women who have inspired me and to share their stories to inspire you as well. Today, I have author and food security advocate, Melissa Kaplan, who also lives in DC, where she works as an advocate on food security and hunger policy. She studied at the London School of Economics and Political Science, earning a master's degree in co comparative politics with a focus on Europe. She has been a passionate student of history her entire life particularly the World War II era, which helped her inspire her to write her first novel called The Girl Who Tried to Change History, which comes out this month. Woo -woo! Melissa is also an avid traveler who has visited more than 40 countries. She enjoys yoga and bar classes and is currently working on her second novel. You can learn more about her work at melissakaplanbooks.com and follow her on Instagram at mcap59. All of this is in the show notes, so you can take a look there if you forget the links. Welcome, Alyssa. Thanks, Maria. It's so great to be here. So this is a big time in the life of a writer. Your baby is coming to fruition. Mm -hmm. And this is the germ of this novel happened, gosh, years ago when you were a graduate student living in London. So was there a particularly particular event that sparked the idea for a novel? I mean, you already had all the informational background and historical background to write it, but what made you think, oh, this would make a good story? Yeah, it's funny because I have been a really avid fan of historical fiction my entire life. I think the first World War II historical fiction novel I read was when I was 12 years old and I picked it off my parents' bookshelf and I became fascinated by that period of history. And to be honest, it was probably a bit beyond my ability to understand at that point, but I still really loved it and continued reading these kind of books for the next few decades. And I always had an idea in the back of my mind that I wanted to write a historical fiction novel set during World War II. And I think the problem was that I could never quite come up with the right hook because there have been so many books written about the Second World War and particularly like mine is set in London, so many books set in London. And I couldn't quite figure out what the hook was that would make my book different and would really make me want to pour my time and energy into writing it. And it's funny, I actually, it sounds a little strange, but I was just sitting one day, I would say probably like 10 years ago now, sitting in a cafe, just sort of, you know, reading and daydreaming and thinking about books and history. And I suddenly thought, wouldn't it be interesting if out of the blue, somebody just came up to me and said, hi, 
I have a way that you can go back and help to alter the, the paths to change history for the better. And then I could be sent back to this time period that's so interesting to me and try to make changes that might in the end end up making things better for the world or might end up having impacts that perhaps I can't foresee. And that idea just kind of came to me in that moment. And for a long time, I kind of pushed it away because I thought, this isn't really the kind of writing I do. I thought of myself as more of a contemporary or historical fiction writer. And I thought, this is science fiction. I don't do science fiction. I don't write about time travel. This just isn't really my kind of thing. But for some reason, this idea just stayed with me and I couldn't really stop thinking about it. And whenever I would sort of turn to the page to try to write, this idea was just always there in the back of my mind. And I finally decided, you know what? I'm just gonna go for it. I'm gonna sit down, start writing the story and see where it takes me. And so I think that was about five years ago. And now I have my book published and it's coming out next week. So that's been my, my journey, I guess. Beautiful, I love it. And you also chose to go with Bold Story Press. What attracted you to that publisher? Yeah, I was really drawn by the whole idea of Bold Story Press's mission in that they're a boutique firm that focuses on helping women get their stories out into the world. And I think that's so important. And to be totally honest, I mean, I had never really thought about the impacts of sexism or, you know, the struggle for women writers to make their voices heard in the publishing industry. It's obviously a very competitive industry overall. It's very hard to write a book and then to get a book published. But it wasn't until I started talking with Emily, who is the head of uh, Bold Story Press, and sort of hearing about her mission and why she created the publishing house. And really, it was because she wanted to elevate women's stories, because so often it's easier for men to break through and get their stories published and told than it is for women, which is incredibly unfair. And I love the idea that she really wanted to put the focus on women and say, there are so many women out there with stories to tell who have, you know, things to share with the world, and we want to help them do that. So that really drew me in the idea that I would be working with this women-owned press who really was putting value on the stories that women have to tell, whether it's fiction or nonfiction or some combination of both possibly, but I really wanted to be part of that. And it's been a really wonderful experience. Wow, I adore Emily and she is She's a personal great. friend. And I really am so impressed with the caliber of book authors she has published. So I'm glad that you did choose her. So I was thinking about your writing process. When did you find you needed to revisit London physically in order to capture the essence and enrich your book? Yeah, I did go back to London a few times over the course of writing the story. I think maybe I was writing it, I think 2018 to 19, so sort of before the pandemic. Uh, I went back a couple of times in those years. It was actually more to visit my family because my mom's family uh, lives in England. A lot of them are in London. So that was the main reason that I was there. But definitely being back in the city did kind of inspire me because I always feel that even today, I mean, you know, seven, almost even eight decades later now, there's still a very strong sense of the fact that this war did happen and it's a part of London's history. And the fact that, you know, you're in a city where literally there were bombs that were falling every single night for weeks and months on end and people were fleeing for their lives in what's now this, you know, beautiful modern metropolis. It just has such a, I don't want to say a dark history exactly, but it has a very layered history that I always feel when I'm there. And it might be the kind of thing that if you're, you know, new to the city and you don't know the history, maybe you wouldn't sense that as much, but I always do. So I think that just being back in modern London, even if I wasn't consciously looking for things to enrich my book, I think just 
being back there and recreating those associations with London's past in my own mind definitely helped me to, to make the book better, I think. Yes, definitely. And would you say that your characters are based even in part on any people you know, or are they an amalgam of people you've met, or do you feel like they were created completely out of thin air for this book? Yeah, it's a bit of a mix. I mean, I definitely do see aspects of myself in Vivian, the main character. And I think that when I started writing, I was kind of looking through the lens of, you know, if something like this happened to me and I had the opportunity to go back in time in this way, how would I react? What would I think? So I think I started out writing a little bit more from that perspective, but Vivian kind of grew as a character as I was writing her. And I realized, oh, she actually does some things that are different from things that I would do and has different feelings and different perspectives and experiences. But certainly some of her life story is similar to mine, like her relationship with her mother, for example, is similar to mine. The fact that she spent years studying World War II and she lived in London, there are definitely those similarities. So I would say she's in part based on me and my experiences, but she grew into her own character beyond that. And uh, there's another character in the book who she, I won't say she's based on my own grandmother, but definitely some of her life experiences I pretty much drew from my grandmother's story. So she's a mix and that I would say she's a fictional character completely, but at the same time, she's based on the story of a real woman, my grandmother. Mm, and how about the love interest in the book? That is purely fictional. And, <laughs> yeah, I have to admit. Yeah, that's something I've always, I mean, I think in World War II stories, you know, you're always drawn to certain types of characters. And definitely the whole idea of, you know, the dashing RAF pilots is something that I've always found really fascinating. And part of me always thought, oh, God, if I could go back in time, you know, and, you know, meet some dashing young RAF pilot and have a romance, that would be really exciting. So that did kind of inform my story a little bit. But again, it kind of was, you know, obviously a fictional character who grew into his own story and his own, you know, background and history as I was writing him. But yeah, initially, the romance that you're referring to um, between Vivian and her love interest, Andrew, definitely it was sort of based on a little bit of a fantasy of mine that kind of fleshed itself out as I was writing it. So fictional character, but based on some, you know, ideas that I've always thought were really compelling. Excellent. Um, well, I really enjoyed the book. And I wonder, I know it's getting a lot of good um a good, a good buzz is developing about your book. And that's always gratifying for, for an author, especially yeah. a first time author, because it's scary to put yourself out there. But what, what do you hope a reader takes from your book? Or what do you hope uh, a reader will enjoy about your book? Yeah. I hope that what people will really take from it is just the idea that our lives are so complicated and can go in so many different directions. And oftentimes the time and place that we are born and raised has a really strong impact in the person that we are, who we become and the choices that we make, or maybe the choices that we don't necessarily have an opportunity to make. And so I would love for people to really reflect on the fact that we stand on the shoulders of the people who've come before us. 
that people who lived in times and places long before we were born or even thought of made decisions and life choices or had experiences and lived lives that impact us to this day. And I think often we don't necessarily think about that. We're just kind of caught up and we're all guilty of this. We're caught up in our own day-to-day lives. We're just thinking about, you know, what we're doing, the situations that we are involved in or facing on a day-to-day basis. And we don't stop to think like, wow, my parents maybe, you know, picked up and moved to a new country so that I could have a better life or better opportunities. Or maybe my grandparents had dreams that went unrealized because of the time and place they were born in. And perhaps in some way, those dreams can be sort of fulfilled through the life that I'm living in a different way because I have new opportunities and choices because of Well, we're having a little bit of audio difficulty here, but uh, I your point is well taken, that we all have choices based on what others have done before us in guaranteeing our freedom. My, my grandfather fought in World War II. He was a colonel on the ground in Europe, and I am eternally grateful to him and the sacrifices he and his squadron and everyone involved in the war made. So I'm extremely grateful for people who serve their countries and not just on the battlefield, but people serve in many different ways. Um, so I, I share your view that we should be cognizant of, uh, of others and the suffering. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, well, that's a really lofty goal. And I, I think you have achieved it. I felt it when I read your book. So I'm really happy for you that the book is coming out. It's from an excellent press and uh, you'll now be embarking on your book tour. Uh, are you, I know you're an avid traveler I and mean, your Instagram is chock full of beautiful pictures from around the world. Thank you. <laughs> Where are you considering going as part of your book tour? Yeah, um, one place I'm thinking of traveling to for my book tour is possibly the San Diego area. I have a good friend who lives there and she's looking into some potential uh, bookshops where I can do readings in that area, possibly in La Jolla. So anyone in the Southern California area, stay tuned. I may be coming to you possibly in maybe October. Uh, also, I'm from Unfortunately, Melissa just cut out. And I still have okay. a lot of friends who live there. So I'm considering going to Connecticut, doing a bookshop read. Well, you're covering both coasts. That's good. And I know you have a Washington, D.C. book party and that you've talked to me about um, your online book tour as well. So yes. look, look at her website to keep abreast of where she will be going uh, on her book tour. So because I am a travel junkie, I would love to know so far, what has been your favorite place you visited? Oh my goodness. It is so hard to choose. I feel like everyone always says that. And I think sometimes I tend to choose the place I've been most recently, but I will say in the last couple of years, I have visited some of my very favorite places on earth. Um, just recently, I was in Indonesia. I did a small boat cruise around the Raja Ampat Islands, which have some of the world's best snorkeling and diving and are just incredibly beautiful. And the year before that, I did a similar boat trip in the Maldives, which is oh. truly bucket list, you know, if you can only go on one, you know, sort of 
exotic, you know, ocean-based trip in your life, I would say the Maldives is definitely one to, to aim for. But I mean, I also love Europe. I love London. I love Paris. That's another favorite city. I was just in Italy last summer and I love Italy so much too, every part I've been to. And I'm going back to Greece actually this summer. I've been before just on a very quick trip, but this time I will be staying for about a week. I'll be in Athens for a bit. And I'm also going to a small island to just relax for a little while. So yeah, it's hard to choose, but I would say those are some of the ones at the very top of my list. Nice. So where will your next book be set? <laughs> That's an interesting question because I am in the process of writing my next book. It's not really set in any particular place. Um, I guess there are parts of it that are set in Washington, D.C., where I live. There are some parts set in New York. There are probably going to be others in other places. But the location isn't quite as central as in The Girl Who Tried to Change History, where, you know, London is very much an important, essential part of the book. But my next story is sort of less place focused, but it will hit a few of those locations. Is it also going to be historical fiction? It, in a way, but it's kind of the opposite. It's more of an alternate history. And it's still in process, but just to very briefly describe it, the best way I can summarize it is it looks at the real story of a very famous historical couple and imagines how their story would have been different if one thing had gone differently. If one big event in their story had changed, what would have happened in the future? So it's telling their story, but in a fictionalized way. So imagining what could have happened rather than often historical fiction talks about what did happen or you know the way things actually occurred and tries to be very true to that reality. But this book is kind of a little more imaginative saying, well, if things had turned out differently for these real people, what might their life have looked like in this sort of alternate universe, you might say. Oh, I like it. I like it. Thank you. And <laughs> I also want to touch on your work as an advocate on food security and hunger policy. How did you get started in that field and what exactly does it mean? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, as you mentioned, I got my graduate degree uh, in comparative politics with a focus on Europe. And that was really the sort of work I thought I was going to do. But when I graduated, I discovered that around like 2009, when I finished school, there weren't a whole lot of opportunities to work on European issues. The focus a lot of people had was elsewhere, different regions of the world. You know, Europe wasn't seen as so much of a priority because it was a bit quieter over there. Obviously, slightly different today, but that was the way things were when I was first looking for, you know, to start my career. And I ended up working in more just kind of general international affairs and international development. And it sort of took a few different jobs to get me to work on food security. So basically, a lot of the work that I've done in the past has been about combating hunger and malnutrition. And often that's been in countries around the world, you know, looking at how we can address hunger in a lot of places where hunger and poverty are very severe. And sometimes, you know, war and conflict impact that as well. And looking at what U.S. policy should be towards these parts of the world where hunger is so prevalent. Uh, in my current job, however, I'm actually working more on U.S. hunger issues. So obviously, and very sadly, hunger is an issue in the U.S. as well. It's not just something that happens in other countries to people living in other places. So we want to ensure that the needs of hungry people in the U.S. are also being addressed. So that's my new job, which I started a few months ago. So I've made a bit of a shift from the international side of food security and hunger to the domestic U.S. side. But it's been very interesting and I'm learning a lot. Wow. Well, thank you for that. That's so important. My uh, daughter's 
boyfriend works in that field as well. And I am thankful that people like you, smart people, are really taking a hard look at our our dire needs in this country. Thank you for that. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> so LSE uh, and your very hard work there, because I know it's extremely hard to get in and to succeed there. Does that impact your work on domestic issues? I, I see that your experience there has affected your writing because you are not only just a good writer, but you've you've captured the essence of London. So how else do you think you're using your experience at LSE? Yeah, it's an interesting question because the work that I do is pretty far in terms of subject matter from what I studied at LSE. But at the same time, I think a lot of the skills that you learn in the course of your education, like how to research, how to analyze facts, how to, you know, to draw conclusions out of all the, you know, volumes of written material that you're working with. I think those really do carry over. So I think just the ability to learn and study and research that I kind of refined when I was in graduate school at LSE, it does still carry over to my work today. So I feel like I got a really good sort of grounding in those skills and it's enabled me really at every job I've had. I think I worked on somewhat different issues and I've been learning new things in every job about new topics. So I think just the ability to move from one to the other is based on my ability to read and research and analyze that I learned at LSE. That's very true. I mean, I went to a law school that taught in the Socratic method. So I don't mm. feel like it really prepared me to take the bar exam, which was largely <laughs> rote memorization, but it taught me how to analyze problems and think in a problem problem uh, solving way that really has served me. So I understand what you're saying. That's That's really interesting to hear. So when, where's your next trip? Uh, my next trip, well, my very next trip is. Oh, geez, we, you cut out. So it's going to be a mystery. <laughs> my next trip is for my 60th birthday and I'm going to Bora Bora. I am so excited. And what makes it even more gratifying is that my son, a TikTok and social media star is fronting the bill for first class tickets, which I never, ever, ever use. So thank you. Follow him at Chris on TikTok or Chris Olson on Instagram because he is so hilarious, dynamic, and I'm very proud of him. So Melissa, when you come back in, share with us the mystery of where you will be going next. I, she and I both have traveled extensively around Europe, Asia. I haven't seen much of South America, Latin America in her travel pics on Instagram, but I have seen Caribbean destinations and uh, South America is high on my list. Oh, there you are. South America. Great. <laughs> so what, where's your next destination? Next destination is Greece, and I'm actually going back to London for a bit to see my family while I'm in Greece. Well, not right, while I'm right, in Greece, right. but on the same trip. Yes, so, you yes. did mention that. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I no, got um, into a mental reverie about Greece because I love Greece as well. <laughs> I'm excited to see more of it because it's a, I've been there before, but just a really quick whirlwind trip. So I'm looking forward to getting to spend more time in a new place in Greece. 
I also saw see that you post a lot about travel books and um, you posted a picture of a book that I haven't seen. I am a fan of the Lonely Planet guides, but I didn't know they had a Lonely Planet world volume. Did you yes. find that helpful or is there just too much to put in one volume? It's actually really impressive they managed to do it, to literally have a book about the whole world. Uh, it's not something you would use for practical trip planning, because of course, you know, they cover every country in the world, they can only get so much detail in. But it's really fun just to look at from just kind of a wanderlust viewpoint and think, oh, I never thought of going to Chile, but now I really want to. Yeah. So yes, highly recommend. I love it. I love it. So I did not prepare you for this, but do you have a favorite passage in your book that you would like to tease our listeners with? Yeah, I don't have the book in front of me, so I can't go through a whole passage, but there's a line where Vivian is contemplating life and the choices that we make and just how these things sort of turn out or don't turn out. And she's thinking about regret. And she basically thinks to herself that perhaps there's nothing you can do that will help you avoid regret altogether, but you just have to accept that feeling regret is part of being alive. You have the privilege of being alive and making choices, but the corollary to that is that your choices will sometimes cause you regret. And that may be true no matter which choice you make. So I think you just have to, at a certain point, make peace with that. And that's something that she references that resonates very strongly with me. Mm, I love that. I think it's so true. And I also, another thing that resonates with me, which is a corollary, is that grief, painful grief, is the result of great love. Yes, absolutely. Queen Elizabeth, who of course recently passed away, and as we're speaking about England here, but she has a really wonderful quote that I think she actually said after 9-11 originally, and she said, grief is the price we pay for love. And mm. that is something that I relate to very, very strongly because it's true. I mean, you only grieve for people and things and experiences that you loved and that impacted you very deeply. And as hard as grief is and as painful, I think you have to be grateful that you loved someone or something enough to feel it, which is sometimes easier said than done to have that view of it. But I think it's, it's very true. Oh, yes, it is so true. So I ask this question of all our guests. What do you do to become your best version? Yeah, I love this question. And I think my answer is really very simple. I just try to really make sure I do the things that matter to me, the things that make me happy, that make me feel fulfilled. And that might be travel. It might be taking time to sit down and write a book and carve out the time to be creative. It might be spending time with friends or being out in the sunshine, whatever it is. I just think it's so easy. I'm the kind of person who has a to-do list and it feels like it just keeps getting longer. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very easy to neglect the things that really bring you joy and to just say, oh, I'll do that someday. Like I know people who say, oh, I want to travel, but they never quite get around to doing it. And I always feel it's so important to just make the things that you want to do a priority, to make the things that make you happy a priority. And that really is being your best version of yourself by being the version of you that's doing the things you truly want to do and not just the things you feel you have to do to get through life. You're not just surviving, you're hopefully thriving. Mm, so important. I'm also a list maker and I can get caught up in the details. So thank you for that reminder. It's mm -hmm. so important. 
So all of you, I encourage you to buy her book, which is called The Girl Who Tried to Change History. It's available, of course, on the Behemoth Amazon and anywhere you buy your books and even libraries upon request. So follow her on Instagram at MCAP59 and go to melissacaplinbooks.com for more information about this delightful book. Thank you, Melissa, for being here and sharing your insight and your beautiful book baby with the world. Oh, thank you so much, Maria. Thank you so much for having me. And it's been a pleasure just to chat with you today. Thank you. Thank you.